Let's go to John chapter 21. On September the 25th, 2016, we started a series through the gospel according to John. I had no idea how long it would take us to get through it. I had never done something like that. And I was longing for the day that I would be allowed to do a series and take as much time as I wanted, not knowing that it would be quite this long. On the calendar, it's taken nearly five years. But this is only the 183rd message, so really it's only been three and a half years. (laughs) But that still should be enough to justify awarding some sort of a bachelor's degree in the book of John. (laughs) And we'll try to get those printed up for those who have been here through the entire series. In the amount of time it's taken to go through this, we've had three presidents. I'll keep that opinion to myself. We've had four different Super Bowl champions. I'll also keep that to myself. Falcons should have won. And we've had something called COVID-19, whatever that is. Don't get me started. Don't even chuckle. Okay. Is it really a pandemic if they have to keep telling you it exists and force you to get the vaccine? Okay, we're going to leave it alone right there. All right, amen. That was preacher's fault, not mine. Now, there have been many times we could have spent uh, more time in the text, but I chose to move as fast as I could. There's still much you can glean from this book. This is what I have learned. I have found the more you study God's Word, the more you realize it's inexhaustible. You just can't get to the bottom of it. Uh, This past week, I was reading from a book on being a pastor, and I was in this section where it was talking about preaching. And I came across this, quote, Preaching systematically through the books of the Bible is a most effective means of ensuring that the whole will of God is presented over a period of time. End quote. And at first I read that and I was very encouraged because I agree that going verse by verse is very effective. It makes us address things that otherwise we may not want to, so on and so forth. And and I thought, okay, we're off to a good start. But then I came to the next sentence and it says this, to follow the same method relentlessly can become monotonous and boring. And I thought, oh mercy, I hope this series hasn't been boring to you. And if that wasn't unsettling enough, then I read this next One danger of expository preaching, especially when we begin, is the tendency to be too long in one book or subject. (laughs) Expository doesn't need to be synonymous with exhaustive and exhausting. (laughs) By this point, I'm really beginning to wonder, have I failed Liberty Baptist Tabernacle by going through John the way we have? Um, So for those who may have felt this series was monotonous, boring, or even exhausting, I want you to know I considered apologizing. I considered it. (laughs) But I decided against it. There were too many times that I noticed the Holy Spirit lined us up just right with things that may have been going on in the world, things that have been going on with the calendar, and to see God lead that way, um, I know the Holy Spirit led us through. And so I did consider it but you're not getting an apology. Um, Now, with that, for the final time with respect to this series, take your Bibles, go to John chapter 21. We'll begin by reading verses 15 through 25. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. 
He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, and thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Last week we covered verses 15 through 17, where Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? Cannot be a coincidence that the Lord asked him three times because Peter denied him three times. Amen. And so he asked him three times. Jesus here, he's in the process of trying to fully restore Peter back to the relationship where Jesus can use Peter again in a mighty way. And the process of restoration can be painful. It can be sorrowful, but it's something that we must allow God to do in our life. We must allow Him to work and to ask those tough questions that maybe even to the point would grieve us so that we can get our hearts thoroughly right with God. And and we saw last week how all Jesus asked Peter was, do you love me? Peter, did you go to seminary? Peter, did you have a spotless record? Have you been perfect your whole life? None of those things. Jesus just simply asked, Peter, do you love me? That's the great qualification. It's not about man's criteria. It's not about whether or not you meet man's standards. But do you love the Lord more than everything else in this life? So don't get hung up on your past to the point where you worry about the future where you can't enjoy the present. But so many do. You don't know what I used to be. You don't know what I used to do. You don't know what I've done. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So get right with God and move on. Don't live in the past. It's interesting how the Lord deals with Peter, isn't it? I'm always fascinated as I try to consider the contrast between how we deal with people and how the Lord deals with people. It's very interesting, especially as good independent Baptist. And the way the Lord deals with uh, Peter here is very interesting because He never brings up Peter's denial. Isn't that amazing? The, the, the main thing that broke that fellowship that caused Peter to go out and weep bitterly, the Lord never even brings it up. Jesus foretold of it beforehand, but that was it. 
He doesn't mention it again because he doesn't have to. All it took was, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Peter knew he was in the wrong. You see, sometimes we think we got to be the Holy Spirit for everybody. Peter knew he was in the wrong. He doesn't even bring up that he denied him three times. So many times we get hung up on the incident when we are wronged. We want to go on about how something has affected us and we like to lay out our terms of reconciliation for them to follow and say, I really need them to do this or that and acknowledge this or that before I can move on in this relationship. And if you analyze what we do, we essentially make everything about us. I want you to do it this way because this is how I want it. Jesus doesn't even go there. He doesn't tell Peter, you know, Peter, i got to tell you how this situation made me feel. He doesn't mention being disappointed at Peter. Jesus simply focuses on Peter's love for him. And I think many times we'd be well served to remember that this life isn't about us, but it's all about Christ. People are going to hurt you. Friends are going to disappoint you. But it's not about us. And I know some of you don't even realize it yet, but I'm venturing into very deep water here. Because I'm talking about the kind of Christian life where you cease to get bitter. Where you don't get all hurt all the time because somebody didn't do something just the way you wanted. I'm talking about the kind of Christian life where you don't hang on to the past. Where you don't make everything about you. I'm talking about being so focused on Christ that when others do you wrong or they cast you aside, that you are so in love with the Lord that you are keeping your eyes upon Him and you are pressing on for the cause of Christ, recognizing that this is how they treated our Lord and the servant is not greater than his Lord. So when someone does you wrong, don't keep bringing up the past. Jesus didn't. Just keep doing the right thing. Keep showing yourself friendly. Keep taking the high road and let the Lord deal with their heart. You keep loving and showing yourself friendly. Consider how the Lord dealt with those around Him and do likewise. It's remarkable how the Lord never really chastised the sinner. Boy, He sure chewed out the religious people that knew better. You hypocrites, He said. But He comes up to the sinner and He just wants to love them. It's just amazing. We get it so backwards. Well, we could preach an entire sermon on this thought. I don't think the Lord wants us to. Let's move on. After the exchange between Jesus and Peter in verses 15 through 17, I want you to notice what Jesus says to Peter next in verses 18 and 19. Would you notice this? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Many of you here today have lived long enough to know that you're no longer able to do physically what you used to do. And and it varies for everybody. Amen. At at some point, your strength begins to go. Younger adults still have the strength of their youth and can pretty well do what they like, when they want, how they want. Amen. Amen. This is why we see so many young adults go astray because they leave the house. Nobody's overseeing them and they can do what they want when they want, how they want. When you were young, you're able to do whatever you want. Jesus says to Peter, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. 
In other words, Jesus is saying to Peter, in your youth, you were able to carry yourself around. You were able to dress yourself. You were able to do what you wanted to do. But when you're old, it's not going to be that way. When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Now, I'm about to be 44, so I'm going to let somebody older than me preach the application from this verse about what it means to grow old. But I can tell you this, that should you live long enough, there's going to come a point when you can't do what you used to could do. And there will be some that will have to learn to depend on others to gird them and help them about. You say, I don't want that. Sorry. When you were young, you could do it, but now that you're old, you can't. You know, Ecclesiastes 12, it calls these days the evil days. Isn't that something? And therefore, for those of you that still have the strength of your youth, you better take advantage of it while you still have it. There's going to come a point when you look back, and it goes by fast, and you'll look back and wish, I wish I would have taken advantage of my youth instead of wasting it all on me. Learn to serve the Lord and walk with the Lord while you still have the strength of your youth. Because the real day of testing comes when you get old. I've talked to enough old-timers to know when they say this, they mean this. Growing old is not for the faint of heart. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 7. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out the windows be darkened, and the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low also when they shall be afraid of that which is high. Now, I know I'm starting to get to that point because when Adrian and I went to South Padre Island, we went to that lighthouse, remember? And this used to never scare me. But we got up there, it was probably only 100 feet or so, but we got up there and there was a little catwalk, and I was just like, I'm just going to, I'm good, I'm just going to stay right next to the side of this lighthouse. Amen. <laughs> I mean, I got up high, I got a little frightened. That's what it's talking about here. And it says, the high things will cause you to fear. Fear shall be in the way, the almond tree shall flourish, the grasshopper shall be a burden, desire shall fail, because man goeth to his... Long home, and the mourners go about the streets, or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the will broken at the cistern, then shall dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Now, I don't, I don't want to get into this. I mean, I do, but I don't have time. Study that passage out. All of that I just read is talking about different parts of the body and how they're going to fail you. It talks about when the windows are darkened, when you can't see, when the grinders cease and your teeth are not what they used to be. It's talking about growing old and the body breaking down. We're all going to experience, experience this to varying degrees if we live long enough. That's right. None of us will escape it. Lamentations 3.27 says, It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Learn while you're young. That's what it's saying. Learn while you're young. Serve the Lord in the days of your youth and you'll be a better senior saint for it. You know what happens to the senior saints who didn't learn that? They become bitter old men and crabby old women that nobody wants to be around. Amen. You know why you're so bitter? Because you never learned to love the Lord. That's good preaching. Well, in verse 19, John gives us the interpretation of verse 18. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. 
It would seem the death that is pictured here is crucifixion. That's what secular history tells us, that Peter was in fact crucified. Uh, They say that he requested to be crucified upside down, not worthy to be crucified as his Savior. We have no way to know if all of that's true. But it does say Peter would stretch forth his hands, which seems to picture crucifixion. Another would gird him. Another would fasten him. And he would be carried where he didn't want to go. Who wants to die a martyr's death? There's no doubt that those who have been killed for their faith in Jesus have a special place in the heart of God. And it just so happens that's what we're talking about during VBS. A martyr's death would be how Peter would glorify God. Isn't that strange? Every time I read about glorifying God in death, I just kind of pause. You know, we're to honor God in our life, but we're also to glorify Him in our death. That's going to mean different things for different people. We don't get to choose how we leave this world. We all came into this world the same way, but we don't get to choose how we leave it. So when it comes time to die, let's glorify God. Romans 14, 7 and 8 says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. And even though our eternal destination is known, it's not that we're happy about dying. Jesus told Peter, you're going to be carried where you don't want to go. You don't want to go through this, Peter. And I'm sure Peter was like us and would just assume died in his sleep. Wouldn't that be nice? But listen, you might go through cancer. You might go through a horrific accident of some sort. You might even be killed for your faith. That day's coming. Who knows how you're going to go? God had other plans for Peter, whatever he may have had. The only thing exciting about death is that we finally get to see our Lord face to face. We just sang about that. The act of growing old and dying isn't glamorous. And all we can do is strive to honor God in the process. Now, after this explanation, we see at the end of verse 19 that Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Isn't it interesting? We often say, if we knew what God had in store for us in this Christian life, we probably wouldn't follow the Lord. But Peter here, he gets told, you're going to die for me. Now follow me. And it's just interesting, just an observation that we often say, boy, if we only knew what God had in store for us, maybe we wouldn't follow him. Peter knows following Jesus is going to literally cost him his life. Though Peter had earlier boasted that he would die for his Lord, he denied the Lord trying to save his life. And now Jesus says, this one you're not escaping. And I wonder if we would still follow Christ if we knew it was going to cost us our life. Would you still follow the Lord? So follow me. Peter knows it's going to cost him his life. Three and a half years earlier, Jesus stood on this same seashore and he looked at Peter and he said, follow me. And now here they are again and Jesus is still commanding Peter, follow me. And what I see in verses 15 through 19 is the Lord always wants us to stay in love with Him. Lovest thou me? He wants us to keep serving Him. Feed my sheep. And He wants us to follow Him all the days of our life, no matter what it costs. Follow me. Jesus wants that for everybody in here. Do you love me? Then serve me. And follow me no matter what. Can you say you love the Lord like that today? If so, can you say you're serving Him? And if you're serving Him, don't stop following Him. Essentially what Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, keep your eyes on me. 
But in typical Peter-like fashion, look at verses 20 and 21. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus just told Peter, follow me. But the next words out of Peter's mouth are, what about this guy? He's already focusing on another. Isn't that amazing? Now, is Peter asking because he's sincerely concerned for John now that he understands his fate? Lord, what's going to happen to this man? Or is Peter just nosy? Yeah, we're about to go there. I love how Jesus' response, Jesus just bottom lines it. Look at verse 22. If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. What is that to you? What is that to you, Peter? I think Jesus' response may indicate Peter's heart on the matter because Jesus is pretty straightforward here. And if you're like me, you love this exchange between Jesus and Peter because don't you just love withholding information from people who are dying to know it and they don't need to know it? Anybody else like that? Where so-and-so? How often do we get preoccupied with what God is doing in someone else's life? It's amazing how many get caught up with other people. Now, I don't mean genuine heartfelt concern. Peter, though, he gets his assignment from the Lord, but then he immediately begins to compare his assignment with somebody else. What's John going to do? Don't you worry about it. Follow me. He immediately begins to compare. And I already mentioned last week, when we compare ourselves with ourselves, we're not wise. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. So why do we find ourselves guilty of doing this? I suppose there are several reasons we could bring up. Sometimes there's feelings of jealousy because maybe we want to do what somebody else is doing. Maybe sometimes it's inadequacy because we want to know that maybe we're better than somebody else. Sometimes it's just because we're busybodies and we can't mind our own business. That's when all the people should at least say amen so you don't look guilty. We need to have peace that Christ is the head of this church. He will set members in the body as He pleases. God never makes mistakes. And He places people where He wants them by His wisdom. Whether it appears great or small in our eyes, whether we view it as important or inconsequential, whether it's something we do in public or in private, we need to be content with God's appointment. We don't need to be so concerned with what God is doing in the lives of others. But many look around and they see what others have been called to do and they think they'll never be any good until they can be like this one over here. Our concern isn't to be like another one who's serving. Our concern is to be like the Lord. Follow the Father's will as Jesus did regardless of whatever job He's given you to do. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 16 says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And so therefore, uh, even though the foot can try to say it's not the hand, therefore I'm not part of the body, it doesn't mean it's no longer part of the body. Likewise, people can't say, 
Well, since I'm not like this one over here, then I don't belong. Paul was explaining how ridiculous this kind of thinking is. You can't say you're not part of the body because you're not like this one over here. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it pleased Him. Everything is arranged as God would have it to be, and we just need to be content with that. Well, I want to be doing something different. What does God want you to do? I want you to know there's a work that God has for you to do that is unique to you. God gave you that personality for a reason. Amen? God has a work that is going to be perfectly suited for you. Romans 12, 5, So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And if we understand this principle that we are all fitly framed together, whether we clean toilets or whether we pay the bills, we all have a place to serve and we should do so to the glory of God. Some will think, well, being the preacher is far more important than cleaning toilets and changing smelly diapers. Well, let me ask you, are you going to attend a church where the toilets are always filthy and the diapers are never changed? Come on now. Are you going to go to a nursery where your child's neglected? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Even if there's a quality sermon from the pulpit, which is highly debatable here, what good is it if people won't attend? Therefore, we want a nicely landscaped, well-groomed churchyard that shows what we look like on the outside because that's what we desire to be on the inside. We want a building that isn't in a state of disrepair. We want a parking lot that's well-maintained. We want a nursery that is nurturing and clean. We want a facility that isn't trashed. We want a foyer that's inviting. We want people who are welcoming. We want a quality school. We want a very sharp press ministry. We want nice vans for our routes. We want caring Sunday school teachers, godly deacons, Christ-centered music, and I could go on and on. I'm just saying, we all have a place. And all areas of service are important and we don't have to be concerned with what God is doing in that person. What is God doing in your life? Just be faithful to what God has called you to do no matter the capacity. We don't need to compare. We just need to be obedient. We need to fulfill our part because we are like an orchestra. We all need to be in harmony. I don't know much about orchestras. But I could probably be the guy that goes like this with the cymbals. Well, that doesn't sound very important. That's not like first chair fiddle, violin, whatever they have. I can do that if somebody just nods at me at the right time. Like Barney Fife. Find what God wants you to do and do it. Learn God's will for your life and don't worry about God's will for others. And don't be that one that keeps thinking, boy, so-and-so really needed this sermon today. Boy, preacher, that was a great sermon. I wish my cousin was here. You're too concerned about other people. What is the Lord trying to say to you? What we find in all of this, there are things which are outside of our purview. We must not be so consumed with what we don't know that we fail to do what has already been revealed. In Peter's curiosity, he turned from following to the Lord to inquire about John. He was sidetracked from what God had him to do. And so we find there's an importance in us following the Lord personally. So don't worry about God's will for others, but allow the Lord to deal with them and for them to deal with the Lord. And so Jesus says, if I will 
that he tarry till I come. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. You see, Jesus brings Peter back to the fundamental thing, and that is to stay focused on me, Peter. Keep following me right here. Follow me. Get your eyes off John. Verse 23, because of people being so concerned about the will of God for John's life, it led to this rumor that John wasn't going to die. And I know the Lord must have had fun with this because John lived the longest out of all of them. (laughs) I'm, I'm convinced the Lord has a sense of humor. But I can tell you there's usually problems and falsehoods when we get to talking about others. It's amazing how people like to talk about others. Well, did you know? Now, Brother Long, if we're a good Baptist, we say it in the the form of a prayer request. Isn't that right, Brother? Listen, preacher, I don't mean to... I'm not gossiping here, but I just want you to know how to pray for so-and-so. Come on now. Well, I guess I just got up in somebody's living room. You need to pray for brother or sister so-and-so. Don't tell them I said anything. But I know they need your prayer. And here's why. Here's another popular one, Sister Karen. Um, I just want you to know how to better pray for them. Is that really it or do you just want to gossip? Well, we're having fun all of a sudden. Now, i got to bring this to to a close. We do have four baptisms. So quickly, stay with me. It's believed that John was led by the Holy Ghost to pen this account to combat the false teaching that had already begun to rise about Christ in his day, about Jesus not being deity. So in verse 24, John signs off by saying, what I testify in this writing is true. In 1 John 1, 1 through 3, John wrote this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John was saying, look, I was an eyewitness to these things. I talked with the Lord literally. I touched the Lord. I knew Him personally, physically. I, I, I know what I'm talking about. And the things that I tell you, they're true. And finally, in verse 25, we see that there are so many other things which Jesus did. If they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that should be written. Amen. And just think about what all the Lord's been doing over the last 2,000 years. There's no way the earth could contain that which Jesus has been doing in the lives of people. The last verse of the hymn, The Love of God, reads, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. We could never record what all God has done for us. We certainly wouldn't have time to read it all. We just get a a short sampling of what the Lord did upon this earth. And let's not forget, as I close, why this account was written. Sorry this is a little jumbled here, but trying to close this out. John 20, 30 and 31, remember this. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. That's why we did this study. It's so you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. 
and that believing in him as the son of God, we might have life through his name. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you know him today? Are you confident of that? Is there any doubt that you know the Lord as your Savior? Do you have assurance of your sins forgiven? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? We as a church want, want you to know the joy of having your sins forgiven. Amen. The assurance of having your sins forgiven. The peace of having your sins forgiven and knowing your future. To you who are saved, keep loving the Lord, keep serving the Lord, and never take your eyes off of the Lord, no matter the cost. Don't get sidetracked by what God is doing in another person's life. Just stay faithful. Would you join me in prayer, please?